In its quest to provide an open forum for discussion of controversial issues, this station allows hosts and their guests to express themselves without any significant censorship. You are advised that any view expressed by the host or their guest are not necessarily the views of the owners or management of Toginet Radio, Togi Entertainment, or the Owners Group, Inc. Welcome to The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney. Vivian is here to talk to you, to encourage you, and to show you how she had a successful homeschooling experience with her Wildflower Academy, and that her kids turned out great, and that with God's help, you can create the same experience she did. From her beginnings in Hostert, West Germany, to Dallas, it's been quite a journey, and her abilities to adapt, survive, and thrive are what make her unique in homeschooling. So have your pen and paper ready. It's The Sociable Homeschooler. And now, here's your host, Vivian McNinney. Bite your tongue. James talks about putting a harness on our spoken words. No man can tame the tongue. With the tongue we praise the Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in God's likeness. James 3, verse 9. How often have we said something and immediately wish we could retract our words? Things said in private, especially on the internet, immediately become public in cyberspace and remain forever. The sound advice I learned when I was a child count to ten before opening your mouth is sound today. Instead of finding quick and careless ways to communicate, let's work on becoming more mindful, weighing our words and their meanings, whether they are to be spoken, written, or overheard. Good afternoon. Welcome to The Sociable Homeschooler. I'm your host, Vivian McNinney, and I have a great show for you today. We're going to be talking about my surprise discovery about finding friends right in front of my eyes. And I'm going to take a closer look at the homeschooling movement in Ecuador. And my guest is Peter Kowalki. Who, you might say? Well, stay put and find out. And of course, you'll be getting the latest news from the McNinney Homestead. So grab your tea and sit down. I don't want to talk about the weather this week. As Malia's boyfriend said when she texted him about the weather in Florida over Christmas, are we really talking about the weather? We sound like a couple of old people. I don't want to sound old, even though it's an English trait, this weather baiting. Anyway, I was going to ask if anybody can remember what the sun looks like, but today is beautiful, so enough. The end. Our friends, the St. John's, came into town this weekend. We've been anticipating their visit for months now. They're so organized, the kind of people who know exactly what they're doing each moment of every day. At least they plan vacations and trips months in advance, well, so it seems anyway. I'm not like that at all, and neither is my handsome hubby. When we first got married, we never made up our minds about where we were going to eat when we decided to go out to dinner until we were actually trawling the restaurant strips. And then we made change our minds and go see a film instead we were not predictable having children changed us somewhat our predictability soared because we had to be home at night and during the day now almost everything we do is spontaneous well not the friday cleaning and grocery store hop or mass or my show but holidays i mean vacations and eating out and movie nights are pretty spur of the moment we love cell phones for that reason. We're a- available no matter where we happen to be. That is, if we remember to take our device with us. My children get all uppity when we're not where we're supposed to be. And where's that, we ask? Safely at home, tucked up in bed, they say. In fact, Malia gets home from rehearsal at 10-something, and if we're watching a film, she cautions us that this is a no-no in the middle of the week. After 20-something years of falling into the reliability category, we're branching out and rediscovering our 
pre-children lifestyle. Actually, Rosemary, Mrs. of the St. John's, said we could move anywhere we wanted to and start living it up on our own, just like they'd done. And when I said I wanted to be around for my children and their children, unlike my parents, she told me what a good mom I was. Our friends, due to their adventurous form, were delegates sent to Texas from their church in Grand Rapids, Michigan, to attend and vote at an Anglican convention being held here in town. We saw them three times. It was such fun to reconnect. The last time we'd been together was 18 months ago, and they'd stayed with us in sunny Destin, Florida. They made that short, only 290-mile drive from their then-home in Valposta, Georgia. Did I mention they travel and move a lot? Seeing them brought home how much we miss having them around. We made the most of the few days and enjoyed good food, from omelettes to pasta with walnut sauce, tiramisu to Christmas pudding for one last time. Old coffee it was, wasn't it, Rosemary? And herbal tea to wine and home-brewed beer. Mmm... In our conversations, which were long and varied, we discovered that both Ernie, the father of the St. John's, and I have a stoning story in common. I'll tell mine one week. How coincidental is that? My oldest daughter this week, the one who moved out as soon as she got a full-time job, who, incidentally, during the course of a conversation I'd had with my brother on one of the rare occasions he picked up the phone to call me, it incited a comment from him to the effect that I had independent children irresponsible hard-headed stubborn are the words that spring to mind independent i suppose so the word certainly covers a multitude of sins anyway said daughter has been struggling with part-time hours at this wonderful full of potential but doesn't want to commit montessori school where she works finally one day when she was down to her last crust of bread and goldfish cracker and couldn't squeeze one more cup of tea out of her reusable tea bag she decided enough was enough she was getting too close for comfort to the reality of having stone soup and staying home every night watching old movies in the wisdom of an empty stomach she applied for a full-time job at a daycare center a chain and got it it means she has to get up way before i do now i don't have young early bird children and i wonder how long that will last Loads of teachers are out sick this week with some kind of stomach bug, so she's subbing in the area, meaning that she has to drive some distance too, because there are lots of these schools all over the place. To her credit, she loves the kids and feels for them having to be sent away from their parents for so long every day. She tries to be as good as a substitute mum as she can. The experts would say the child gets used to it or has never known any different, but we know better. If only all daycare employees were as compassionate and nurturing as my daughter. Well, it's time to complete the chapter in my book excerpt, Quality, Not Quantity, where I find, after searching high and low, that friends are in all the obvious places. Isn't it funny that saying you can't see the wood for the trees? In my search for friends, I discovered that we'd turned a corner. If I really thought about all the people we knew, those we could depend on or include in celebrations and activities, I realised that we did have a group of friends of sorts, a motley group maybe, but friends all the same. We'd attended picnics and outings given by different organisations, homeschool, church, boys' choir, gymnastics or theatre over the years and met a lot of people probably one at a time. 
Our children mix with children of all ages and develop their own relationships, both within the home and outside it. Now that I have consciously decided to seek out and include friends one by one in our home school, I began to see changes occurring around our house. Two of the children's activities that have begun at home with just the four of them embraced our community of friends from different walks of life. Out of the blue, young people not bearing the last name of McNinney descended upon us in such droves that I was quite taken by surprise and plunged into the alluring world of outsiders. The first of these activities was a game that began during this auspicious year of lowering the drawbridge from our basement battlements. It was the water balloon war. Using their engineering skills garnered from their father's love of adding on rooms, renovating bathrooms, repairing appliances, mechanicing cars and building with wood, and the talent of a set builder from the theatre, the boys constructed a pair of trebuchets to launch the brightly coloured missiles. They were able to cajole the girls by diplomatic means inherited from my father into helping them fill hundreds of balloons so that the war could last for hours. Eventually, word got out that there was something planned that Mike Nenny homestead. Children came from far and wide, and it wasn't unusual to have a dozen camouflaged and muddy-faced participants swarming the house and surrounding fields as they prepared for combat. Baloney didn't last long in our fridge nor hot dogs or bread for that matter. After the war, they would try to come up to the pool to rinse off, but we drew the line because of the mud and encouraged them to retreat to the creek where they threw themselves into the shallow, muddy waters and held current floating competitions. We knew this because, of course, they filmed it all. The second activity was filmmaking. With each premiere and screening, our living room quickly became the planning centre for action-packed movies. We advanced from very private home videos into ambitious films that used many friends from diverse backgrounds as extras and stars. Numerous venues included abandoned parking lots, church offices, theatre stages, creek bottoms and orchestra pits. Various talents were tapped into to write musical scores and screenplays, design costumes and gather props. No child was left behind on these shoot days and our kitchen resembled a food factory as sandwiches were provided for the as yet non-union participants, along with much needed water in the Texas summer heat. Our children may not make as many friends in the homeschool environment as their peers make in a public or private school, but here at Wildflower Academy we are talking about quality rather than quantity. The most important factor for us as their parents and teachers is for them to be able to get along with each other. Having friends is an added bonus, which I believe we're receiving. Each child has been able to make good friends over the years with children outside the fold. If my school is beginning to give the appearance of having way too much fun, then you're right. All learning doesn't need to be done at a desk. Gradually, we shook off the shackles of rote learning and textbooks, observed our children's behaviour, and turned the rest over to God. This we called being flexible. I didn't really have a quiet weekend this weekend looking back on it, but it seems as though not a lot happened except the usual family stuff. My husband and I have started a project whereby we're cleaning out closets and asking the question, when did I last use this? Will I ever use it again? Did I really buy that? And if I did, why? This week we attacked and brought down the linen cupboard and the puzzle closet. 
I invited all the children to go through the sheets and decide whether they wanted them or not. The two boys no longer have single beds, so their decisions were easy. The girls hung on to a couple of sets, Little Mermaid and Pocahontas. The rest went to Goodwill. The sewing machine is broken, so it's out. A karaoke machine may find a place at an orphanage. Those are difficult to place because schools are really careful about the songs they allow children to listen to these days. The ironing board is still being used, grown, and the jackets hanging up are in use while the sun stays in hiding. Cupboard number one, over and out. And I have a load of stuff out in my living room right now. My floor is completely covered with stuff out of cupboards. And I have been waiting for a child to walk in and say, Mom, you need to pick up this room, it's a mess, so that I can respond with their typical response of, What? What? What do I need to pick up? I don't see anything. Anyway, I'll be back in a moment. So go get yourself a cup of tea and join me in a moment. How do you handle toddlers, teens, and tirades when homeschooling? That's what we're working on now. It's Vivian McNinney, the sociable homeschooler, and we'll be right back after these. The Way of the Toddler with hosts Lita and Lori Hamilton is a show unlike any other parenting program you've ever heard. Zen Masters in Diapers? Yes. Join us Tuesday afternoons at 5, 4 Central here on Toginet as we celebrate parenthood as a spiritual path for a journey to inner peace. With thought-provoking and spiritually compelling guests, each week Lita and Lori will explore how our children help us with the lessons we came here to learn, adding deeper meaning to our lives and relationships while giving you valuable gems to add to your unique parenting toolkit. Check out the website, thewayofthetoddler.com. With great humor and honesty, Lita and Lori will demonstrate how inner peace is possible even when surrounded by poopy diapers and piles of laundry, and what we can learn from the innate wisdom and natural spirituality of our Zen Masters in Diapers. It's The Way of the Toddler with Lita and Lori Hamilton. Tuesday afternoons at 5, 4 Central, here on toginet.com. Everyday Autism Miracles with Shannon Pinrod. Friday afternoons at 2, 1 Central, on toginet.com. Life after an autism spectrum diagnosis doesn't have to be difficult. It can be joyful, happy, and filled with hope. Join Shannon Penrod, author, speaker, coach, and mom of a six-year-old recovering from autism for this inspirational hour of hope. She's even authored a series of children's autism books with her son, Jim. For more information about the books, Shannon, and Everyday Autism Miracles, go to her website, shannonpenrod.com. From there, you can also get to her other websites, blogs, and connections. On Everyday Autism Miracles, you'll hear stories from parents whose children have made miraculous strides. You'll also get the inside dish on therapies, treatments, supplements, and how to get funding to help you afford them. Miracles abound in the autism community. So tune in for Everyday Autism Miracles to listen, share, laugh, and surround yourself with hope. Everyday Autism Miracles with Shannon Penrod. Friday afternoons at 2, 1 Central on Toginet.com. Welcome back to The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney, the show for any homeschooler at any point in their homeschooling career. Join us as we plow through the problems, tackle the challenges, and celebrate the successes. It's The Sociable Homeschooler on Toginet. And now back to your host, Vivian McNinney. Well, my 
My guest this week is Peter Kowalki, a self-described lifelong unschooler whose highly praised documentary, Grown Without Schooling, followed 10 unschooled graduates into the world and recorded how they fared in their individual life choices. For 17 years, Peter spoke on the homeschooling conference circuit. He lives in New York City and has consulted as a homeschool expert for media outlets such as the BBC, New York Times, Wall Street Journal, Fox News, Boston Globe, Psychology Today and The Times of India. He used to live in India and worked for Shikshanta, a research institute that promotes homeschooling on that continent. At the age of 15, he started a magazine called Nation, a monthly rag that ran for four years and was popular among homeschooling teens. This venture fostered his passion for magazines, which endures to today. He served as a columnist for Home Education Magazine, Life Learning Magazine, and Home Educators Family Times. Welcome, Peter. Thanks for having me, Vivian. I uh, really appreciate being on the show. I well, feel, good. Uh, I feel like I've done a lot hearing that uh, <laughs> hearing that intro. <laughs> oh well, I know. And since we last talked, I talked. I know that um, you know you've got a new venture going, and you've done probably a whole lot more. You're a busy, busy person, which is wonderful. <laughs> All right, so um, we're just going to continue as if everybody listened to your show back in July. But I would really like you to talk just a little bit to me about unschooling because I noticed that um, unschoolers, because I had a few unschoolers on the show after you came on the show, um, they refer to themselves in the present tense as if they're still unschoolers. It's not like I used to be homeschooled, I was a homeschooler, or I was an unschooler. It's I'm an unschooler. So it really doesn't just apply to school-age children. So why don't you tell me a little bit about your philosophy and, and how you view unschooling? Yeah, that's a very good place to start. Um, unschooling can be as limited as uh, just an educational choice. You know, at, at its root, it's a uh, uh, child led learning or uh, student-led learning, I would argue. So, you know, that's just about, you know, instead of somebody else dictating the direction of the learning, uh, the, the student themselves is the, the person leading that, um, you know, deciding what areas to study, what, you know, what curriculum's working or not working, whether or not a curriculum is even appropriate. And the reason that... Uh, uh, some of the unschoolers perhaps have been talking in the present tense is because uh, it, it can be more than just an educational choice because really uh, it's a philosophy um, that uh, you can take with you uh, well beyond the K through 12 years. Uh, you know, I, I use the unschooling philosophy today um, to I empower uh, myself and, and to realize I have choices. You know, I'm, I'm not just a, a cog in something larger. You know, I'm, I'm directing my life uh, very actively, you know, whether I'm working for somebody else or starting a business. Uh, you know, there's a, there's a sense of, of uh, it being my life, and uh, that doesn't mean that I'm, you know, an, an island under myself, not by any stretch of the imagination. But it does say, you know, you're in charge, you know, if, if something's not working for you, go out and change it. Mm -hmm. And to, and that's, that's a powerful idea. So, uh, you know, a lot of unschoolers talk in the present tense because it, it sort of, that, that idea continues even, you know, past the unschooling years. 
And uh, you talked about one of the new ventures that I'm involved in. Uh, Unschooler.com is a new website that we started late last year in 2010. And uh, the site is basically uh, based around the idea that unschooling is a lifelong um, uh, endeavor. It's a, it's a perspective. So maybe the idea behind Unschooler.com is that, um, you know, there's a lot of resources out there for uh, people who are, are homeschooling or unschooling, a lot of them center on the parents' perspective. But there's not as many resources for people who uh, are actually, you know, unschooling themselves, or even there's even less resources for people who unschool K-12 through and are now out in that world but still have this mindset, still have this way of looking at the world. So unschooling.com is really meant for those people who have, have unschooled or are currently unschooling who, you know, look at the world through those that lens. And it's part community, it's part, um, you know, self-reflective uh, community-based, you know, thinking about, well, how did this turn out for us? How does that make us different? What issues do we have? And, you know, some of it's just like, looking at back where we've come from, but a lot of it plays into where we're going as well. So, uh, of, uh, so, so these unschoolers that you're talking to, they're older, I mean, older by, I mean, they're in their mid to late 20s and probably um, married and settling a little bit with children. Um, are they um, looking... Have you come across any who have gone, oh, this really hasn't worked for me, we're really going to go the traditional way? Or does it really, once they've seen the freedom that unschooling gives them, they just there's just no turning back? Uh, well, I think it varies. It varies by individual. Uh, you know, uh, this site actually does, uh, we have a, I have a 16-year-old unschooler who has a piece that's coming out uh, at the end of January, and also we have people in their you know late 30s and early 40s. So the site actually caters to all ages of people who are self-directed. Uh, to, in terms of after they unschooled, whether or not you know they decide it works, uh, you, you see you see all sides. You see, I, you definitely see grown unschoolers, grown homeschoolers who think that it's you know been a good educational choice for them and they feel more capable but you do see some grown homeschoolers who question whether or not it was a good choice it's very easy to blame homeschooling for pretty much anything that's not going right in your life because mm -hmm. you know homeschooling is a, a rather big chunk of, of of one's life during those years and it it's a big, you know, if something isn't working, you can say, well, maybe it was that homeschooling thing. That was something different I did, and, you know, it's kind of pervasive in my life. So surely, you know, if I'm not socially where I want to be, it might, maybe it's the homeschooling. If I don't know if I am get scared when I'm uh, doing it, when I'm calculating the tip at a restaurant, oh, that's because homeschooling didn't prepare me for handling math. <laughs> You know, you can you can blame homeschooling for a lot of things, and maybe it is the culprit, but a lot of times it's not. So you do see, I do see homeschoolers who do uh, some some that do wish that they had not been homeschooled. Yeah. Well, um, talking about blaming um, homeschooling for a lot of things, you could also blame the public school system, too, for, exactly. for the same thing. <laughs> so, I mean, it just boils down to taking responsibility for your life, which I think... It does. 
yeah, in in this unschooling and homeschooling movement, I think um, kids are, be, are are learning that they do have to take responsibility, especially today in a culture where there are a lot of things that we are encouraged to blame for why this happens and why that happens. And taking responsibility just doesn't seem to be that prevalent these days. You know, do you agree with that? Yeah. Yeah, I do. And I think it's uh, my experience both personally as a grown homeschooler and uh, in talking to so many grown homeschoolers is that this accountability is actually a competitive advantage for homeschoolers and grown Mm -hmm. homeschoolers because there are so many people who are just cogs or just like, you know, going along with what's been handed them or are disempowered on some level. And in this world that's changing all the time and, you know, you need to be flexible, you know, things are changing fast. And so there's a a big need to be flexible to take advantage of new opportunities or just to, you know, help your company stay competitive. And homeschoolers are pretty well positioned for that. You know, we're used to, you know, learning things we need to learn. We're used to adjusting. Uh, We're used to taking charge. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And not sitting back yeah. and going, oh, I hate my job, this, that, and the other. Because I tend to say, well, if you do, then you need to look at it and say, well, how can I make it better? How can I, what can I do, you know, to make myself? Because I know that when I do anything, I give it 100%. Otherwise, it's not worth it to me to do it. And if exactly. I can't give it 100%, then I have to go somewhere where I can find something that I can give it 100%. Otherwise, I'm just wasting my time. So, yeah. All right. Um, now, this new venture, because I remember that you um, had said something about wanting to restart a magazine that you had started called mm-hmm. Sponge or The Sponge. So is the Unschooler Experiment or your unschooler.com, is that a version maybe of that magazine that you started in 2006? <laughs> Uh, you're either well researched or uh, <laughs> just giving me the best segues in the world here. Yes, uh, Sponge Magazine was a, a, a magazine that we, an online magazine that we uh, tried to start in 2006, and you know the premise was, uh, you know, it's a, it's a community for grown homeschoolers, and also to introduce new ideas. You know, not just the the act of educating and, and taking charge of your own education and life, but also the, the, that unschoolers are doing a lot of interesting things. So, you know, I find that when I hang out with other unschoolers and grown unschoolers, you know, I'm, I'm, in, I'm uh, inspired. I'm uh, very curious what they're doing. They're often doing some really fascinating things. Uh, and so, you know, the, the mag- Spunk magazine was all about not only looking about how unschooling worked and you know, analyzing how that's changed our perspective, but also, you know, look at all these cool things that are being done, you know, here's some new ideas. And unschooler.com is 100% a a sponge magazine 2.0, so to speak. Mm -hmm. Uh, We found in 2006 that we tried to do it like a traditional traditional magazine or online property. And, you know, the the homeschooling community is... uh, tough one to make a, a living off of mm-hmm. and so we found that um, you know we couldn't support all the staff and the structure that we had back then and so unschooler.com is really uh, we've really streamlined it and made it something that's sustainable you know we do a podcast on mm-hmm. unschooler.com uh, we're at our third episode and uh, you know we, we, we're building it up in a way that it's, we're not going to have 
uh, we're not going to have like podcast fade. You know, we're not going to have that. You know, it sounds good for three or four or six episodes, and then it sort of tapers off and disappears. Mm-hmm. We're working really hard to make sure it's sustainable and uh, um, a lot thinner yeah. organizationally. Well, we'll talk about more about that in just a moment. For those of you who are just joining us, I'm talking to Peter Kowalki, a non-schooler who has explored the question, how do we fit into the mainstream and join the workforce once we graduate? So stay with us to hear more about Peter's innovative work with the Unschooling Movement. We'll be back after this short break. How do you handle toddlers, teens, and tirades when homeschooling? That's what we're working on now. It's Vivian McNinney, the sociable homeschooler, and we'll be right back after these. Don't wave your hand. Look who's on. It's the Cody Man Keith, and he's number one. Now, you might think one's youth was sad, because right? he had a death kill, mommy and dad. Right. But that ain't the case. Nope. It wasn't his fate. No, nope. the ones never struggled to communicate. Y'all <laughs> wave your hand. Look who's on. It's the Cody Man Keith, and he's number one. It's That Keith Wine Show on Toginet.com, Wednesday nights at 8, 7 central. Every week, That Keith Wine Show will have guests that share their experiences, expertise, opinions, and personal lives with us to hopefully help us better understand others. The topics and guests will come from the American Sign Language community. For more on Keith Wine and the show, go to his website, KeithWineWann.com. Listen with an open mind and willingness to learn and help with the cultural bridge. Number, number one, Keith's number one, everybody back. Don't miss that Keith Wine Show. Wednesday nights at 8, 7 Central on Toginet.com. Get ready for the Not So Soccer Mom Tuesday afternoons at 1 Eastern, noon Central on Toginet with Jill Hickey. You name it, from politics to pop culture to Jill's search for the perfect bronzer and chicken salad. The Not So Soccer Mom will weigh in on it all. The sentence, I have no opinion about that, is one that Jill has never uttered. In the early 90s, Jill finally decided to put her thoughts, opinions, mom advice, love of pop culture, hummus, and Starbucks, working out, cosmetic shopping, and politics into an actual website and thus NotSoSoccerMom.com was born. Shortly after her fourth child, a boy, Jerome, now she's really got tons of topics to share with you. This is Laugh Out Loud Funny, and we're not kidding. What's a loud Nebraska girl who lived in Little Rock for many years and now is up in the Northeast doing, chronicling her opinions on everything? The wheels aren't off yet, but it's close. It's the Not-So-Soccer Bomb with Jill Hickey. Tuesday afternoons at 1 Eastern, noon Central on toginet.com. Welcome back to The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney, the show for any homeschooler at any point in their homeschooling career. Join us as we plow through the problems, tackle the challenges, and celebrate the successes. It's The Sociable Homeschooler on Toginac. And now back to your host, Vivian McNinney. Right, we're back, and I'm talking to um, Peter Kowalki. Um, Peter, you talked about you've got podcasts on your um, website. I've been and I've, I've looked at them and I've listened. Um, they last for do they last for an hour each one? Uh, they vary. Uh, uh-huh. Currently, they no longer than an hour. They, okay. are, you know, we we're still in the early days, but we shoot for about a half hour, forty minutes. Okay, and you speak to just one person on each podcast. Uh, you know, we're starting small. We don't want to overextend. Uh, mm-hmm. it, it, 
we'd like to have multiple segments as we go along. But, you know, overall, we're looking for a podcast that uh, uh, bring entertainment and insight. And so, you know, sometimes that might be one guest. Sometimes it might be many. And, you know, in this today's world, it's, you know, sort of quite doable to do something, you know, you might never have done a podcast in your life before and you can just go on there and there's all this help out there on the on the internet, which there wasn't, you know, sort of 10 years ago when uh, you were doing your magazine. So, it's, you know, it's a lot easier today to do, to have an idea and go out there and do it. Um, so, um, good luck on your podcast. I think that's that's great. And I love your site. I, I love the way you click on something and it brings you up to the appropriate little um, interview that you've had. Um, do you have somebody in particular that stands out that you've spoken to that you want to talk to us about? Uh, well, we uh, had an interesting uh, interview uh, for our most recent podcast episode. Uh, uh, a grown-on schooler in, in Maine, uh, Linda Young, uh, she's a second-generation uh, okay. homeschooler. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's a very exciting topic. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, uh, uh, and I think pretty much everybody uh, who's interested in homeschooling, you know, because it's one thing to, you know, homeschool your children, but you really sort of get to see what works and what doesn't when you get another generation because they've, you know, the the first generation was the experiment, so to speak. And, mm-hmm. the you know, the, it's interesting in my eyes to see what they're changing. Uh, you know, what are they doing differently when they're unschooling their kids? Because from my, from my vantage point, that tips me off on what might not have worked the first time around. You know, every generation you try to fix the mistakes of the last one and, you know, what's going wrong. So talk, recently we talked with Linda Young, and who's unschooling her uh, uh, two children. And, uh, um, you know, as a journalist, I, I've been, you know, I look for the controversy. I look for the... You know the the thing. You know the the tension. Mm-hmm. You know the the drama. And there are little things that uh, the second generation homeschoolers I've talked to have been tweaking. Uh, but what surprised me actually is that there's no nothing too major. You know, mm-hmm. I'm waiting for like this big bombshell uh, or something really dramatically different. And uh, the second generation homeschoolers are you know pretty much saying, yeah, you know, it's pretty. Um, it did work. It really did work. Now, what am I seeing that uh, is a little bit different? I'm seeing in, in people like Linda Young and, and others that uh, um, there's really a sense of chill out. It's okay. Let's, we can relax in this process and enjoy it, enjoy it more than, mm-hmm. than you know maybe uh, some homeschooling families do from time to time. I've definitely noticed that, the sense of it'll be okay. Maybe they'll read later in life. You know, maybe they, they won't. Maybe we start reading when they're three. Maybe they'll read when they're 10 or 11 or 12. Yeah, that's not the norm, maybe, but it's okay. It will work out. Well, you I know, remember maybe, in our, our last conversation, both your parents are public school teachers, and yeah. you weren't reading or writing until a later age and of course you said well you know they should have been freaking out because they were teachers but you said eventually when you had to write you wrote but up until that time there wasn't any point yeah yeah that was definitely my experience and i think my parents did stress about it but they kept it to themselves a little bit more than thankfully no my experience was with learning to, to to read and write was very organic um 
you know, for most of the things that I, I know, uh, it's come through having a genuine need. And when I was growing up, um, the first time I needed to read was uh, I used to play with G.I. Joe toys, you know, the little action figures, and I had a lot of them, and I'd play all these, you know, these scenes, and I really enjoyed that. And I also watched all the cartoons, all the G.I. Joe TV cartoons. Mm-hmm. Well, I watched all of them, and I still wanted more. There was no more, you know, more, no more episodes. So mm-hmm. I looked around, and I saw there were G.I. Joe comic books. And, you know, at first I tried to have my mom read them to me because she had read, you know, she'd read books to us at night going to bed. So, you know, if it was like a little house on the prairie or, a, you know, a, a, a novel, uh, whether young adult or, or non-young adult fiction, you know, I knew I could get that through my mom. But comic books, it eh, didn't work so well. You know, yeah. too many pictures, but, you know, it just, I tried it, but it really didn't, didn't quite work. Mm-hmm. So, uh, uh, that was actually that was how I learned to read because I had enough pictures to give me a sense, mm-hmm. and then the few words that were on there, you know, it sort of that you know take me into it a little bit. Mm-hmm. So I learned to read by reading comic books. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, um, great. That's great. You know, it doesn't matter what you read; it's that you read. I always think, exactly, you know. exactly. Yeah. And then I learned to write by yeah. <laughs> by because I I wanted to. Uh, uh, I met a girl at a at a homeschooling conference. I was 13 at the time, and the girl lived three hours away from me. And, you know, this was in the day when it wasn't so cheap to do long-distance calls, and the Internet was a little too new at that point. So I had nothing but letters. And so, you know, talk about learning to, to write. You know, if you want to impress a girl, for instance, you know, yeah. you don't want a second-rate letter there. So I, you know, I, I tr- learned to write by, by writing to this girl. And, you know, early on I had my mom look it over so I could, wouldn't be an idiot. When, you know, when, when she received the letter, it would make sense. Mm-hmm. Um, but, I, you know, obviously that, that died away pretty soon. You know, yeah. fourth or fifth letter, I stopped letting my mom read those. <laughs> but I had, she had already smoothed out the basics enough that the rest I could pick up just yeah. by the act of doing and experimenting and trying. Yeah, that's great. Well, that's that's interesting to hear that um, we've got some second generation unschoolers and, of course, second generation homeschoolers. Um, of course, they would share the same philosophy. One would hope as their parents. Although, you know, a lot of children kind of rebel and go, "I'm that's what my oh, parents yeah. did. I'm not going to do that." But you know, with something like homeschooling, it is so attractive to a lot of um, kids. And if their parents can can manage it, you know, with just the one income, or you know, some of them are doing it with, you know, pretty low incomes. I've got I've got a family that's out in the high seas, you know, and they just they sold everything, bought a catamaran, and they're off with their kids. And I went, you yeah. know. This is great. This is great. So, um, you know, there's there's so much potential out there for learning. And then you can come back. And if you really want to be an engineer, if you really want to do other stuff, you can still do that. So you, you really can. Yeah. And and some people do seem to think that you need a, to be of a certain socioeconomic level to homeschool. And, uh, yeah. You know, the number of single moms I know who have raised, uh, you know, grown on schoolers, uh, and these, these these people are amazing, you know. And they didn't, yeah, they didn't have all the bells and whistles. But you know, you don't need those bells and whistles. You really don't. No, you know, it's, a, with, it's a yeah, it's a way of life. 
It's a set yeah. of values. It's a whole family dynamic. It's not just the academics. It's the whole the whole thing. Yeah. All right, Peter. Did you go to India last year? You were planning on going back to India. Did you go? <laughs> I did. I went to did back to India go. and Malaysia and Singapore, and I had oh, never yeah. been to Malaysia or Singapore before, so that was uh, eye-opening. Uh, some of the friendliest people in the world. I was blown away with the friendliness of the Malays, let me tell you. Yeah. So how long were you there, and uh, what did you do while you were there? Well, you know, I, I try to mix uh, uh, business and pleasure. So, mm-hmm. you know, it was, it was uh, some work, and it was also I mixed in some vacation. Um, one of the uh, goals of this trip, especially in India, was uh, visiting Indian uh, homeschooling families. Mm-hmm. Uh, India has a pretty nascent homeschooling community. It's kind of like the U.S. was in the late 70s or early 80s, where you have a few dedicated families um but you know it's it's still not widely understood and uh you know it's there's there definitely there's still in its infancy so i went over there to talk to talk with uh the homeschoolers who were doing making a go in india and just to see where they're at to see what sort of unique struggles they had and you know what homeschooling experience they were they were getting because India is a very different culture, so it was very curious to me. Mm-hmm. And so, what did you find? Did you find that there was a support groups where there? Did you find several families in one area that were all homeschooling? Uh, you did actually, uh, Pune, which is uh, basically a suburb, a couple hours out from Mumbai, uh, Bombay. Um, they had, there was a pretty good group there. You know, there there aren't that many, so they're scattered, and there's a few areas that have a little larger group. One of the things that they're struggling with is uh, that schooling isn't, doesn't have as long of a history in India. You know, the, they're still, they're, they're just recently moved to, you know, uh, compulsory uh, institutionalized schooling. So in some regards, you know, that's the modern, that's the right way. And so you've got grandparents that are very much uh, like, wait a minute, we just moved away from homeschooling and you're trying to bring them back? Yeah, and there's, yeah. there's nuances there, but mm-hmm. that's one of the things that they're struggling with mm-hmm. is, uh, you know, the, the, the understanding of what education is is a little bit different. Yeah, yeah. Well, that is just uh, great. Was the, Did you notice any homeschooling in Malaysia or Singapore? Um, I wasn't able to I heard that there were some in Malaysia and Singapore but I didn't really get uh, to to know those communities mm-hmm. so I can't say I have much to report on that but mm-hmm. you know I'd be surprised you know if there if there weren't homeschoolers because pretty much everywhere you know maybe yeah. it's a handful but they're, they're everywhere yeah, yeah I spoke to somebody last week who um, the um, um, where Ecuador the, this, the Indians in Ecuador are looking to homeschooling in their jungle villages, and I'm going, it's everywhere. Well, Peter, yeah. we've come to the end of um, our chat this afternoon. Um, thank you. And um, I've been talking to Peter Kowalki, writer, film producer, and podcaster, about his new venture. Um, it's the Unschooler Experiment on www.unschooler.com. And we also talked about the lasting influence unschooling has had on his life. Thank you so much, Peter, for joining me again this afternoon. You have a great weekend, and I look forward to reading and listening to more of your work in the future. Thank you for having me on the show. You're welcome. Have a great weekend. 
How do you handle toddlers, teens, and tirades when homeschooling? That's what we're working on now. It's Vivian McNinney, the sociable homeschooler, and we'll be right back after these. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time for you to be a rock star. Get ready to rock with Rock Talk and Kirk Deswalt and learn how to achieve rock star status in your industry every Tuesday afternoon at 2, 1 Central on Toginet.com. Craig Deswalt is the creator of the Rockstar System for Success. Craig will share easy tips and strategies on how entrepreneurs and businesses can use outside-the-box marketing strategies to stand out from their competition. Each high-energy show will feature interviews with celebrity rock stars as well as business rock stars. For more on Craig, the show, and the Rockstar Marketing Boot Camps, check out the website, CraigDuswaltDuswalt.com, so you can learn how to be perceived as an expert and celebrity in your field, so more people come to you to buy your services and products. Then, get ready to be a rock star with Rock Talk and Craig Deswalt. Tuesday afternoons at 2, 1 Central on Tuggynet.com. Hi everybody, this is Pete Six of Beatles and Beyond. Why don't we all come together and hear some of the tracks off the latest Beatles release on this radio station. Why don't you look up the schedules on this radio station and join me and Beatles listeners everywhere to hear these latest releases from the Beatles on Beatles and Beyond with Pete Dix. Welcome back to The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney, the show for any homeschooler at any point in their homeschooling career. Join us as we plow through the problems, tackle the challenges, and celebrate the successes. It's The Sociable Homeschooler on Toginac. And now back to your host, Vivian McNenny. Well, last week I talked to Marsha Washburn about her visits to Ecuador. Her husband is a meter and relay specialist assisting in the upgrade of a small and aging 12,000-volt hydroelectric power plant for the Shuar community in Marcuma, Ecuador. On one of his jobs, he was asked by the Shuar Church Council to bring his wife along on his next trip to explain the workings of home education to the locals and talk about how it could be implemented and enhance their family lives if they chose to do it. Teachers in the local schools were particularly interested because they were growing disillusioned with increased governmental intervention and questionable curriculum content. For example, they were talking about adding witchcraft and textbooks were being rewritten to include falsehoods in history. Sound familiar? Yeah, the witchcraft too. High schools in Mekuma teach over 20 subjects to their students who may not even have mastered the basic skills of reading, writing and arithmetic. So as with Western parents, the Shua Indians were very serious about education. They want their children to learn how to read and write their heart language, as it's called, so that they can read the Bible, the translation of which into the local language has just recently been completed, I'm sure, by the Wycliffe translators. They do a superlative job. Um, I heard of some other missionaries who are going into Papua New Guinea to actually transcribe a tribe oral language into the written word. The estimated length of time to finish this outstanding project is about 15 years. Wow, what a long, dedicated job for anyone. 
The Shua Indians are a subtribe of the notorious head-shrinking Hivaro warriors. The name Hivaro shares its root with the word savage. It's a name linguists and anthropologists have assigned to the Amazon tribes who share the same language with slight variations in dialect. The word Shua literally means people. They live in the foothills of the Andes. When I think about homeschoolers in these remote outposts, the first images that spring to mind are of expats and missionaries, not the locals. In fact, the new Papua the new Papua missionaries I spoke about just now are going to have to homeschool their children until seventh grade, and then they're going to send them home to boarding school. I know all about that, except we could send our children home at the age of five. That's kindergarten or before in American educationese. I digress. My conversation with Marsha really opened my eyes to the fact that homeschooling is a growing movement among locals throughout the world by parents from literally all walks of life. And Peter and I touched on that just a moment ago. Marsha had six months to prepare for her expedition and conference and prepare she did. None of her potential audience could speak English, so she had to send her written presentation ahead of time to the uh, local missionaries already living there. And they translated it into Spanish, the Shua Indian second language. The local missionaries also made sure that all the Bible references she had were written out in the Shua language so that precious time wasn't used up searching for the relevant verses. And when Marsha actually arrived, she discovered that not only was her little chat going to be translated into Spanish, a further step was going to be added. Enter Daniel, a Shua Bible teacher, who went on to translate the Spanish into their tribal language. Have you ever attended a bilingual event? Well, this was trilingual. And no sooner did they get the message in their heart language. That's a lovely term, isn't it? Then discussions and questions erupted among the attendees and they ended up talking about everything from textbooks to television to birth control and daycare centers. As you can imagine, the going was slow and Marsha spent most of the time listening to the interpreters in the discussion. The attendees, who didn't understand a word of what she was saying, sat for hours, attentively hanging on to every word she uttered. For the locals, she tried to keep everything duplicatable, using seeds instead of buttons for math manipulatives and suggesting simple teaching methods that would not require expensive textbooks. Every family already owned a hymnal and a Bible. And the locals were quick to recognize that homeschooling is all about parenting, not only limited to academic achievement. So Marsha blessed the Shua Indians with much more than a talk. They reaped the benefit of hearing from a veteran homeschooler who had raised five boys with abundant joy and was still alive to tell the tale and more to encourage others to do the same. After two visits from Marsha, one in 2010 and one in 2010, there are several families, families who now homeschool in the region. There is no telephone. Communication is by letter. They don't have any support groups, but they are encouraged to know that Christians in America are praying for them. Marsha has written about her experience, if you go to her website, and she asked the question, how important is homeschooling to you? What would you do to get training as a parent educator? What sacrifices would you make? Attendees of the conference traveled for days, hiking and bussing in with their children. They brought their own glasses, bowls and spoons for the five meals they'd eat during the conference. Some spent the equivalent of a month's wages on the journey. Others risked losing their jobs by taking the days off. They were all dedicated and determined because they wanted the training, at least so that they were equipped to make an educated decision about their children's future. These were the sacrifices they made to find out more about homeschooling. And what were their main concerns? 
Well, am I qualified to teach my own children? What will my friends and family think? Is it legal? Where will I get materials? And of course, what about socialization? They also thought that Americans were far healthier than they were because of their access to vitamins. And Marsha looked around and she said, how can you think that? Look at all these wonderful fresh vegetables that you grow. Each tribal household is self-sufficient. The women are in charge of the planting of the kitchen garden. They grow everything, including sweet manioc, sweet potatoes, white maize, squash, gold bananas, peanuts, sugar cane, and cotton. They keep domestic animals, chickens, ducks, and pigs for when they have to feed a large group of people or for special occasions such as this homeschooling conference. The men go out and hunt for the food and fish. Their common prey are anaconda, toucan, monkey, peccary, and armadillo, not quite what we would throw into our cooking pots. And they utilize a complex system of river poisoning as well as gathering insects, fruits and plants. So when we're questioning our decision to homeschool or seem bogged down when things start to get crazy or difficult, let's remember these brand new homeschoolers in Makuma. Marsha tells us that mothers will be teaching while keeping the toddler from falling into the fire on the hard-packed earth floor. Fathers will be teaching while fishing for the day's protein. Families will be sharing God's word as they eat their bowl of rice and noodles. Whether we live in a chanta hut or a suburban home, there is a oneness among believers and our Heavenly Father teaches us each in our own tongue to trust him. His mercies are new every morning and great is his faithfulness. Well, um, back to our little cupboard cleaning out for it. I guess spring must be in my blood or something like that. It's, it's only January, but it feels like spring. So I'm doing this deep spring clean. We went to the cupboard number two, which was the puzzle cupboard. And um, we had puzzles had um, more of a grip on us. You see, in our homeschool, puzzles were one of the things I would do with my children, along with the reading, listening to music, theatre, cleaning and cooking. Memories flooded back, not just to me. Each child had their own special favourite puzzle, ranging from the 18-piece helicopter floor puzzle, which was Simon's, to the 300-piece black Batman puzzle, which was Ian's. We used to have marathon puzzle weekends where we'd endeavour to cover the floor of the schoolroom with as many completed puzzles as possible. Everyone joined in the fun and we'd leave them out, stepping carefully over the colourful pictures until we finally broke down and broke them down to carefully store them back in their boxes, which soon showed signs of much love and tear. Years ago, probably about seven, Paris and I pieced each puzzle together to check for completeness before transferring them, broken up, into a labelled and numbered plastic shoebox. The exterior of each box carried an image of the puzzle and where possible the box lid was cast off, was cut off and included with the pieces. They're amounted to more than 50 boxes. We stored them out of sight in harm's way in a cupboard on the very top shelf, and there they remained unhindered for seven years until the other day. We all deliberated long and hard over the puzzles we would keep and those we would donate if we could find anyone to take them. The hospitals can't because they're cardboard, and apparently cardboard is a rabid hoarder of bacteria. Jonathan's house in Garland, a home for abused children, may take them, and our nursery at church will probably jump at them. We kept a few, a very few. Maybe I'll do one last check before making that trip. Cupboard number two successfully cleaned out. And the next storage place on the list is the infamous cupboard under the stairs. My mum used to call it the glory hole for good reason. It goes back several feet 
and will probably be there'll probably be stuff there unearthed <laughs> that hasn't seen the light of day for years. It needs a good long weekend and a very hard heart, and I think we're going to start on it um, first thing tomorrow morning. Ooh boy. My son, the zookeeper, is having another article written about him. One of his biology professors from his community college days thinks he hung the moon and has been raving about him for five years to a reporter up at the school. Well, eventually and suitably intrigued, the reporter made an appointment to meet with Simon to find out more about this fabulous human being. In fact, I asked Simon if he knew what the topic of the interview was going to be, and he said, my amazing life what it is to be young and big-headed. After the interview, I spoke to him, and sure enough, it was, as expected, all about him. He was fascinated that she she was fascinated that he had gone from a community college to A&M and then on to working at the Dallas Zoo. They talked about his schooling, and I asked if he told her he homeschooled. Well, you never know these days, and of course he had. Empowered, I also asked if he had told her about my radio show as my big head and he said mom within the first minute she said i think i found your mother online does she by any chance have a radio show yay togging it you rock as soon as i get my website up i'll post a photo of him in action either as a scientist a keeper or a rock climber homeschooling tends to do that produce children who are multi-talented and I've almost come to the end. I think I have a, a minute or a half a minute or something like that. So um, I'm going to say that I'm not going to look at my my junky. Actually, I've got thousands of photographs that um, I've already sorted through and put into photo albums over the years. But I found all these other photographs, which were the ones that I had decided not to use in my photo album. So now I've got to try and decide what the heck I'm going to do with all of that stuff. But Oh, well, that's my project for next week. So I've managed to use up another whole hour. So I will bid you farewell for this week. And we're off to dinner and a play tonight. And then I have subdeacon training at church first thing in the morning. And I'm able to wear all the heavy vestments. Yippee! Then we're going to a 10th anniversary of a 40th birthday party. On, and then I'm off on Sunday. And thanks to my handsome husband, who believes in love at first sight, our four children who are the result of that belief, the hardworking staff at Togginet Radio, my guest Peter Kowalki and you my faithful listeners especially Hannah Tina and St. John's have safe travels and we enjoyed our visit Ali Lopreet host of This Little Parent Stayed Home is coming up next so don't go away have a great weekend and may the Lord bless you and keep you may the Lord show you his kindness and have mercy on you may the Lord watch over you and give you Thank you for joining us for The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney on Togi